notice the title of our message today, The Only Safe Place to Be. The Only Safe Place to Be. I thought uh, today I had address um, how God would encourage us as we go through this pandemic and uh, what he would say, how he would uh, encourage us. And, and, and ultimately, we can just say, you know, one place to be is, is in, the, in the arms of God. The only safe place to be is under his care. We're going to study not Psalm 91 as our study today. You know, God gives us many promises, many promises. I've got a book that thick that's just chuck full of the promises of God. I mean, they've taken the verses and just said, okay, let's, let's identify the promises and one of the reasons for giving promises is to keep us from worry. You know, the promises, so many of them start with fear not and then tells us why we don't need to be afraid. And most of the time it's because God and his character is so great. You can trust me, fear not because, and then he promises different things. And so I'm thinking about this pandemic we're in, and obviously we have to be wise about it, and we have to be informed about how to protect ourselves. And we should carefully, really, go through some steps and follow recommendations and so forth. The medical professionals, they know what they're talking about, and so what they say about washing and distance and all of that is important. And then we should pray. Yeah, let's follow the requirements that have been given to us, but let's also remember to pray and pray for those who are, are hurting. And, and you can think about how they're hurting, not just getting the virus, but dealing with the isolation. There's a lot of reasons to pray. And there's a reasons to pray for our govern, governing authorities, these leaders. They have some hard decisions to make. And so our place in this time Certainly to pray. And yet in all of this, as we're thinking about this, going through this, God has told us to release any spirit of fear. However we deal with this pandemic, the one thing we, we don't do is, be, uh, is to live in a spirit of fear because this is not at all what God is about. In fact, God has said that he does not give a spirit of fear. And so if there is a spirit of fear in us, it's certainly not from God, and it's something then to, to address and say, what's the deal? Now, we may be afraid, and we may be concerned. Now, that's one thing. There's, there's moments of being afraid. There's moments of being concerned. Of course, you know, we, we, we deal with that. We're human. But to live in a spirit of fear, that's what God has said we should be really careful about. In fact, he has said, look up to me. And let me deliver you from your fears. That, that verse from Psalm 34. When we seek the Lord, here, here's to be the answer. Seek the Lord and he will deliver us from our fears. That, that is to be us as Christian people living in a confidence. So I, I, let's take a look at, at Psalm 91. And, and Psalm 91 gives us a lot of worse, uh, words to encourage us in this time. There's three parts to the psalm. The first part, verses 1 through 4, if you have your Bibles, it's kind of cool to work, work through it. Um, the word of God in verses 1 through 4 is, I am there. I'll be with you. It's, it's real clear, the first four verses, I, I'm just there to protect you. Uh, don't be afraid because, hey, I'm, I'm God. I'm your Father. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High 
will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now these two, first two verses are kind of interesting because the name of God is given in four different descriptions. Uh, there's the Most High, that's a name for God. There is the Almighty, a name for God. The Lord is a name for God. And then my God. Four distinct Hebrew words are given to name God. And by using these four names, by the way, there are something like 20 names for God. It's like God can't be described. And so let's just use a bunch of names and we'll use them all. In fact, we use all 20 and still they're not enough. God is this indescribable being. And what the psalmist seems to be doing by using four of God's names back to back to back to back, he seems to be rejoicing that this God who can't be described, he's the one who's my refuge and my fortress. There's a power beyond description here. And so the psalmist is saying, hey, you know, I I am really satisfied and I'm really settled that I have a power beyond description, a power that I can't even name, and I'm under his care and and he is my refuge and my strength. Now, Paul keeps going in this. Let me give you another verse, verse 4, in which he says, you know, this big indescribable God is not just big, but he's also loving and he's protecting. He's like a... He's like a, like a bird who is taking care of his chicks. We are his chicks. He's like this big bird enveloping us. In fact, here's a, here's a verse. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings you will find refuge. And by the way, this idea of God being this big bird covering us with his wings is, is a picture, is a metaphor that's used a lot. There's a lot of verses that speak about being under his wings, that famous hymn, Under his wings we will safely abide. By the way, we're going to close our service singing that hymn. And so I I love this picture, though, as I was thinking of it. It tells me that here I am. I'm under the wings of God. And and if there's anything that wants to get at me, well, they'll have to go through God to get at me. That's sort of the picture for me. I'm under his wings, this great God who protects me in this way. If there's anything that wants to get me, it has to go through God to get me. I, I love that picture when I think of it. And there's really no logic in saying, I'm under the protection of this indescribably great and powerful God, who, by the way, is the lover of my soul, who, by the way, loved me so much that he came to earth and he died to save me. This lover of my soul, this great, immense God who can't be described, and then live in a spirit of fear. I mean, it's no logic to say, yes. I'm a child of God, I'm under his wings, and then to live in the spirit of fear. Whether it's a threat of a, of a virus, or not just that. How about the prospect of an economic collapse? If you've done some reading, there's some economists that are saying, wow, watch out for what's coming. Or maybe it's the breaking of relationships. Let's just say whatever it is that is putting us down. A loss of a job, the doctor telling us it's cancer, the advancing age and our decrepitancy. Whatever we face, it may be ugly, it it, it may be threatening, but to live in fear, that's really not the option. It's living in unbelief. It's saying, God, I may be under your wings, safely abiding, but I don't believe that's enough. I may be under your wings, but I don't think you can really take care of me, and so I'm afraid. 
Now, that's really not an option. That's, that's really not logical. It's saying that I'm an unbeliever, really. That, God, you're not big enough. You know, in the Bible, there was a guy by the name of Paul who was dealing with a lot of trouble. The guy was in and out of jail, constantly being threatened, his life being threatened. And uh, he didn't live in a spirit of fear, though. Like I said, he was in the slammer all the time. He was being threatened with death all the time. But he didn't live in a spirit of fear because he knew under his wings he safely abided. And he confidently said this. This is what Paul says. I know in whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him to that day. Can you take that verse? That's a, that's a tattooable verse. That's one that you might want to put on your pillowcase. He is so wonderful. My God is so great, so wonderful. Can't we believe that? That my God is so wonderful. Hasn't he shown his glory enough? Aren't you persuaded? Hasn't he shown you enough that he is able to take care of you? That he's able to protect you through life? That's a verse to underline, man. That's one to, to, to memorize and, and, and put in your, in, your, uh, in your memory bank. Commentator William Barclay has some good words. Those who feed their hearts on the record of what God has done in the past will never worry about the future. Worry refuses to learn the lessons of life. We're still alive and our heads are still above water. And yet if someone has told us that we would have to go through what we've actually gone through, we would have said that that was impossible. The lesson of life is that somehow we've been able, enabled to bear the unbearable and do the undoable and to pass the breaking point and not to break. The lesson of life is that worry is unnecessary. And I think that's really good. Some good words. Life has taught us, hasn't it? That God is faithful and that, that he, uh, and, and that we are persuaded that he's more than able to keep what I have committed to him that day. I'm persuaded that he can keep my life. I'm persuaded that he can keep my family. I'm persuaded that he can keep my future. I'm persuaded that he has, uh, that he has given me hope for every day. Until when? Until the day I'm, I'm gone? Well, the psalmist keeps going here as he tells us that we're under his wings, safely abiding. We're under the protection of God. There's no safer place to be than to be under his wings. He then goes on to describe, if you, see, if you look at Psalm 91, it goes on to describe his protective power in ways in which it makes it seem that, that when we trust the Lord with our life, all our troubles will be over. I mean, it's just extreme what the psalmist is saying. Yes, we're under God's wings, safely abiding. And then this is what's going to happen. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness. Nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousands at your right hand, but he will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. And it goes on. You can keep going on this. I mean, we read these verses, it almost seems to be saying 
If you trust God, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Trust God and it'll be like a walk in the, in the garden. No harm will befall you. Look at the last line. No disaster will come to you. Talks about the plague, the pestilence. Coronavirus, forget it. I'm under the wings. Well, wait a minute. If we say that, then the opposite is also true. If life isn't going great and you get the plague or you, some disaster hits you, then, well, then I'm not trusting God and somehow I'm not being faithful to God. So think about it. Is this the, the message? Trust God and life will be easy street. Trust God and all will go well. And if life is not going well, well, then you're not trusting God. Now, that's not how we take this. And the primary reason why we don't take this is because over and over in the Bible, after example after example, God is showing us that life going well is not what we think. We define a good life as a safe life. We define a good life as a protected life. Protected from what? Economic issues or health issues in a way that's different from the way God talks about the good life. There's a verse in the Bible that's often quoted that is probably one of the most uh, famous and favorite verses that summarizes God's working in our lives. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the word and we know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, it's almost like this Psalm 91 passage. Just as God says, no harm will befall you, no disaster will overcome you, here God promises to cause all things to work together for good. And I want us to take a moment to look at this verse this is a very instructive verse to help us understand how God really cares for us. And I want us to look, first of all, at the word together. A very important word, the word together. I mean, it's not that all things are good. Of course, we know that's not what it's saying. In fact, this whole chapter, chapter 8 of, of uh, Romans, Paul is talking about a world that is groaning and about his own personal suffering he was going through. A groaning world, his suffering is not good. And as I said before, this guy was in and out of jail. His life constantly threatened. There, there's bad things out there. This world is a big bad thing. And God didn't create a world that is bad. War was not a, a God-created thing. Evil is not a God-created thing. Aging was not a plan of God. Sickness is not viruses like the coronavirus. That's, that's a bad thing. It's not a God thing. It's a result of sin. But what God does promise is that he's willing and he's wanting to do and to take whatever life brings, the good things, the bad things, even the most terrible things like, like, a, like this virus we're dealing with and work them together. Work it all together for a good. I was thinking about the ingredients of a cake. You know, you take a cup of flour and you try to choke down a cup of flour and that's yuck. You try to gulp down a raw egg and that's yuck. You try to swallow globs of Crisco and that's yuck. And you take a, a teaspoon of baking powder and that's Yuck. I mean, it's all yuck. And yet, mixed together in, in the proper um, amounts, 
and uh, cooked to a certain temperature and for a certain time, in the end, it's really good. All that yuck. And somehow, that's what God is able to do. He takes a bad thing that was intended to defeat us and, and turns it into something that blesses us. Could it be that a bad thing that was intended to defeat us God can take and turn it into something that blesses us. I mean, it's almost an unbelievable promise. Look at that verse. You've heard it many, many times, but it's a promise that God has give. God gives to turn all things together for good. But now, we've got to be careful because we can just uh, take parts of this verse. We've got to take the whole verse. We can focus on this verse and, and we can maybe take only parts that we want, the parts that fit our need. We, the promise is not all things work together for good. The promise is not all things work together. Like, like everything will work out in the end. No, it says God causes, God's involved, and he'll cause all things to work together for good to those who love God. So the promise of working good is in our relationship with God. God wants a relationship with us. Those who love him, called according to his purpose, a child of God, he says, I'm there for you. You're under my wings, safely abiding. I'm working in all the things of your life. I'm working a good end. Now, what's the good end? What's the good that God promises? It's the next verse. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. This is the calling of God to us. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the good. God's promising to choreograph all things, even painful things, evil things, for our ultimate good to make us more like Jesus. All things work together for good. God says, I'll make them to those who love me because I want you to be conformed and made more like Jesus I want you to become like my son. And that means to become more loving and more kind and more gentle and more patient and more joyful and more peaceful. Where am I coming with this? The fruit of the Spirit. All these things God is wanting to work in us and that's what he's using. All the things of life for the good of making us more loving and joyful and peaceful. Now to bring this good, which is a character quality, this life with God, most of the time, these are gained through experiences that challenge us. I mean, how can I learn to love more and to grow in love unless I've been challenged to love another that was mean and unlovely? Where I had to work through a tough love, where I had to work through a love that was hard. I had to endure in love through a period of lovelessness, right? Well, that's how I become more loving. I have to endure. I have to go through maybe a hard time of lovelessness so that I can learn what love really is. You know, I found this promise of God working all things together for good with the ultimate purpose of making me more like Jesus as the most satisfying answer when bad things happen. Because when bad things happen, it challenges me, and I firmly believe that God's working on me. That's what he says in that Romans chapter uh, 29, uh, verse 29 verse. That God is working. He's wanting to make me more loving, more kind, more gentle, more patient, more like Jesus. 
I don't always understand why things have to happen, why things don't have to work out, but is it to make me more patient? Is it to make me more gentle, more kind, more like Jesus? One of the best examples of God working all things together for good for the sake of making a person more like Jesus for the purpose of bringing that person more into a relationship with God is the story of Joseph. Now, I'm going to let Tim Keller give a good summary of it. He always does such a great job. But let, let me let him write a few words. Jacob has a group of sons. He has Joseph, but he has other sons. Jacob, because of his own problems, because of the way his mother and father treated him, because of his own family history, favors one son over all the others. He very visibly, very obviously favors Joseph over all his brothers. And you know what poison that is in a family. What you see happening as you read the story is, first of all, Joseph, even by the time he's an adolescent, is becoming entitled. He's becoming spoiled. He's becoming arrogant. He's becoming cruel. You can see it in his dreams. The brothers are becoming murderously bitter and angry and hard. As the story progresses, the brothers actually sell Joseph into slavery, and he goes to Egypt. And down in Egypt, it gets even worse, because one of his employers falsely accuses him, and he ends up in a dungeon in a prison. Not just a slave now, but in prison. For years, as far as we can tell, for decades, everything goes wrong. At every point where he could have cried out and said, God help me, there would have been just silence. Year after year, decade after decade, time after time, everything goes wrong. God never comes through. No answers. Yet we all know that in the end, if all that hadn't happened, if all that disaster hadn't happened, if all the violence, if all those bad things haven't happened, God would never have become a great man. He never would have escaped the mean, self-absorbed person he was becoming. He would never have become a great man. Secondly, the brothers never would have been humbled and healed psychologically. Thirdly, multitudes of people, including his family, would have starved. Joseph was protected from being the wreck he was becoming. He was protected from his own arrogance. He was protected from his father's loving mistreatment of it. He was protected, basically, from his brothers. His brothers were protected from themselves. The people were protected from starvation. And all this protection was going on because of all the disaster was happening under God's control as part of his plan. Right? You know the story of Joseph? You can just see how, wow, this is a tough, tough thing. What, what is happening here? Where is God in all of this? It's bad, and yet in the bad, God was working the good. It was all about a relationship with him. It was all about getting Joseph to a point of, of, of character formation that God can use him in a great way. And so Joseph summarizes uh, his life and all the ups and downs, the good and bad. He tells his brother after they were united, you intel, intended to harm me. He's talking to his brothers. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is, being, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Under his wings, Joseph was safely abiding by a good and great God who was protecting him 
from all danger. In this case, that, that meant that God was protecting Joseph from himself, from the arrogance that was building in him. And See, God isn't interested in protecting our circumstances. He's interested in, interested in protecting our life. Circumstances, who cares? He's, he's looking at something much more core. That's life, the life we have with him, the life that he intends us to live. So Joseph, becoming this spoiled, coddled brat, God knew that he was losing this self-absorbed guy. And, and God, God took action. The way he took action was to take things away, made it hard, made it hard for Joseph. He took, uh, God had the greatest plans for Joseph, and he wanted to be this great man, this great leader to accomplish great stuff, but the only way he could do that was if Joseph went through some tough times to get ready. God let the bad boy brothers do their deed. God let some other bad people do some bad stuff. But none of it was without purpose. None of it was outside the protective wings of God. And those bad things, God was working together for good to produce the best and the most wonderful thing in the life of Joseph. And so, that's a grand example. God, that bad things happen to Joseph, working them out to good, humbled by these events, rejected by his brother, sold as a slave, thrown into the slammer for 10 years. But as a slave, Joseph learned how to lead. He learned how to manage. He learned how to take responsibility. And then as a slave, there's this moment where his character was severely tested by this beautiful woman that, that wanted him, and Joseph held firm. And God saw that he could be trusted. God tr saw his character grow and, and develop. In the slammer, Joseph learned how to endure. I mean, quiet times in jail, learned to listen to the still, small voice of God. He learned how to listen to God to the point where he can interpret dreams. That was the point. And as God was filling Joseph with all this stuff, the man changed into a man of depth and wisdom and unshakable faith and endurance. I mean, he just became this great, great guy. You intended to harm me. It looked like everything was going wrong. For decades, everything was going... But what was God doing? He was working it for the good. He was, Joseph was under the wings of God, safely abiding. See, that's the God we have, not a God under his protective wings protecting us from circumstances, but under his protective wings protecting our lives, making us more like Jesus. Now, with all this, I wonder what the Lord is up to in this country of ours. We're facing this COVID-19, this pandemic. Are we under the protective care of God? Yes, under his wings we safely abide. There's no place for a spirit of fear in this. But in this protection, God is allowing this bad thing. I mean, COVID-19 is a bad thing. Is it for a much better outcome? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's not a purposeless reason for this. No, there's a reason. And we don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that God is working all things together for good to those who love him. And the good that God is after is our life. Not our circumstances, but our life and our relationship with him. He's wanting to make us more like Jesus. COVID-19 
That's an opportunity. Can we think of it that way? That this moment of dealing with this pandemic is an opportunity, maybe one of the greatest opportunities in recent times to grow more like Jesus. But what are we doing? We're spending time at home. Is that maybe an opportunity? We have this time at home, this time on our hands to be still, to dwell in his presence. Maybe clicking off the TV and saying, you know, this night, this week, I'm just going to be like Joseph in prison, you know, time on my hands. I'm just going to dwell. I'm going to listen to the still, small voice. Could it be a time where this is an opportunity for you as a family to draw draw close and, and near to each other, to be honest about who you are, where you're going, the motivations of your life, your eyes open to seeing what is most important. I mean, if it's true that God takes all things and works them together for good for his children to make us more like Jesus, then the pandemic of COVID-19 is an opportunity, we'll call it that, an opportunity of God using it to transform us into the likeness of his son. And we know that God causes all things to work for the good to those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's the purpose. That's the much higher purpose. Not to make our lives comfortable, like, oh, get this coronavirus out of here. That's not necessarily his intention. Maybe his intention, in fact, we know his intention, is to be under his wings, yes, safely abiding. But in whatever the good, whatever the bad, whatever the in-between, working it out to make, it more, make us more and more like Jesus. Let's pray together. What a hopeful way to live, God. To think that whatever comes, yes, the good, and even the bad, we are under your wings and we safely abide. You are a God that is nameless. No God can describe you because you're beyond it. And so we're in the realm of power. But Father, in your wisdom, in your way, you know who we are and we're broken. And we can't be coddled. And so you let, Father, bad things happen. Allowing us, Father, to stretch and strain and be, and be tested and challenged. All because you have a goal. You want us to draw near to you, Father. We know that. And as we draw near to you, we become more like your son, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that that is the good that you're working, the character that you're working, the person you are working, the relationship you are working. And I pray that we would embrace that. And in this time, we would find ourselves being still and quiet and hearing your wonderful voice, drawing close into those wings, drawing close to your presence, wanting to become like Jesus. All in the name of our Savior, we pray. Amen.
firm, strengthened, and established here. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go.